Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show. Our show, number 591. As you can hear, we have a very enthusiastic audience here. We're at the magnificent El Tovar Hotel, overlooking the Grand Canyon. And we're just a few yards from the Hopi House platform here in Arizona in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service. We, of course, are cognizant of the fact that this is September 11th, 2016, the 15th anniversary of that terrible tragedy that occurred in the attack on the United States on that day in 2001. We continue to remember those who were lost on that fateful day. Well, as the folks at the Sierra Club pointed out recently, when the Yosemite land grant was established in 1864, no one could have known what had been set in motion. The National Park Service and its mission evolved in fits and starts, but 150 years later, the Federal Bureau, whose sole purpose is to preserve and protect more than 84 million acres, has firmly taken root as an indispensable U.S. institution. Just a few of the many milestones associated with the National Park Service are as follows. 1864, President Abraham Lincoln and Congress create the Yosemite Land Grant preserving in perpetuity Yosemite value and the Mariposa Grove of giant sequoias and marking the first time the United States set aside land for conservation. 1916, the National Park Service is created by Congress. The service will eventually oversee national parks, monuments, recreation areas, scenic trails, seashores, historic sites, parkways, reserves, and wild and scenic rivers. 1919, three years after the creation of the National Park Service, Grand Canyon achieved national park status. In that year, 1919, Grand Canyon National Park received some 44,000 visitors. Today, Grand Canyon National Park welcomes nearly 5 million visitors each year. Joining us for a couple of moments as we drink in this heart-stopping view from the south rim of the Grand Canyon is park ranger Vanessa Cejas Cervantes. Good morning, oh. Vanessa. <laughs> Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Ray. You're pretty popular around here, well, for good reason. We're, you're very popular with us because you've been such a great, wonderful help to us. Um, so we just have a couple of minutes, but trying to describe the Grand Canyon in detail would take a couple of months, I suppose. <laughs> but in a couple of minutes, tell us some of the things that uh, for people who don't really know about the Grand Canyon other than it's a famous place. Tell us some details. So the Grand Canyon not only has unique geology that you really can't find anywhere else, but its dimensions on its own are magnificent. You have um, a canyon that's 277 miles long. At its widest, it's 18 miles wide and one mile deep. So you can just imagine how big it is. It's one of the few things that you have to be out in space to see entirely. And it, a lot of people don't know, but we've only actually ever explored about 5% of the Grand Canyon. So there's a lot out there that we haven't seen. Um, 
and you can imagine just from what we see here in the South Rim, we know we get about, you said, nearly 5 million visitors, and we're hoping to surpass that this year, especially with it being our centennial year. We get a lot of visitors out here from all over the world, so it is truly a magnificent place. Well, it certainly is. The people must be struck when they hear that 5% yeah. figure that you just gave. What, yeah. What's that about? So within the National Park, there are a lot of places that we haven't yet had time to go out and see and explore, survey. Um, I mean, some of the earlier surveys back when, you know, before the uh, Grand Canyon was a national park, you know, went through the river. But there are canyons and places where we haven't even been out and, you know, inventoried and seen. Mm -hmm. Vanessa, thank you so much for being with us and keep up the good work. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Well, even as we bask in the glorious spectacle of Grand Canyon National Park here in Arizona, we reach back to the East Coast to declare that our bonus state today is the great state of New York. Well, what that means is if you're first to get through to us, if you're listening from New York, on our Mystery Bird Contest today, you'll win a special bonus prize. It's the Celestron National Park Foundation 3-in-1 device. We gave away one of these at our little presentation last night over at the, the uh, McKee Amphitheater. We have another one to give away here if you're from New York and you get to us here. Uh, it's a perfect companion for camping in a national park or any place else. It features a rechargeable power pack to charge up your phones and tablets and such, plus a 12-hour hand warmer and a multifunction LED flashlight. So if you're in New York, you're our bonus state today. Well, here in the U.S. this year, of course, we're celebrating our National Park Service 100th birthday. And next year, Canada will celebrate a big birthday. And national parks there will join in the celebration. Let's find out a bit more about that, along with some cool info for young birders in New Jersey and details on how folks on both sides of the border can become citizen scientists without even leaving the kitchen table. It's our Charlotte's weblog with Charlotte Wasselet coming to us from some 1,500 miles due north of where we are today. She's up in Alberta, Canada, and her report is made possible by L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors, llbean.com. Charlotte. Good morning, Ray. Next year, on July 1st, 2017, Canada will celebrate its 150th birthday. To commemorate this milestone, the Government of Canada is offering all residents free entrance for an entire year to all of Canada's national parks. There are 38 national parks and 8 national park reserves you can visit. Learn more at www.pc.gc.ca. If you're a young birder in the New Jersey area, there are lots of great events planned for this month, including a fall migrants workshop with Richard Crossley, the photographer and author of the Crossley ID Guide series. You can find all the information on the New Jersey Young Birders website, njyoungbirders.weebly.com. The 30th season of Project Feeder Watch, a citizen science project operated by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology and Bird Studies Canada starts November 12th and runs through April 7th, 2017. If you have an interest in observing and counting the birds at your feeders over the winter months, sign up for Project Feeder Watch and help scientists track the winter bird populations and trends in bird distribution and abundance. That's all for this week, Ray. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Charlotte. 
Talking Birds listeners, don't miss Charlotte's blog. You'll not only love it, you will fall in love with it. Easy to find at prairiebirder.com. That's prairiebirder.com. Still to come on our show today, we'll learn about the bird that many people think of, maybe most people do immediately when it comes to birds here at the Grand Canyon. That would be the California condor, usually described as the largest bird in America, North America. Uh, we'll talk about the, we'll talk with the Peregrine Fund's Tim Hawk right here uh, at the El Tovar Hotel near the Hopi platform on the south rim of the canyon. Uh, meanwhile, back home in Massachusetts, Mike O'Connor from the Birdwatchers General Store will join us to address a concern uh, from a listener in Maine about goldfinches. And up next in just a moment, a bird that noted nature photographer Art Wolf suggests we might look for in the trees right next to park headquarters here at the Grand Canyon National Park is today's featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Can we get a round of applause here for Celestron because they have done, they have been so great to us and uh, really helped make it possible along with L.L. Bean for us to be here at the Grand Canyon. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says, we care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. The way out in the western mountains is a guy named Otis. And if you're looking to find him, <laughs> good luck. They say his last name is Flamiolus. And he's been spotted in Nevada and Colorado, out in California and up in Canada. Likes to spend the winter in Mexico. Yeah, he's an elusive critter. And you could say he's a night owl, lying low during the day and keeping out of sight. He's not a big fella. Stands about six inches tall. But he's got some fire to him. Maybe that's why some just call him the flame. Yes, the flame. Because of the flame-colored feathers that streak its body. It's the tiny, flammulated owl, Otis flammiolus, a bird that's hard to find, partly due to its small size and near-perfect camouflage, and partly because it's soft call its gradual increase and decrease in volume makes the direction it's coming from hard to determine. And if you begin to approach, the bird will call even more softly, creating the impression that it's farther away than it really is. Because it's so hard to find, the flammulated owl was once thought to be a rare bird, but new census techniques have shown it to be quite common. In fact, it may be the most abundant owl in our western pine forests. Unlike other owls, the flammulated owl eats very few mice or other vertebrates, relying almost entirely on insects for food. <laughs> well, that may explain those winter vacations down in Mexico. Right. Insects are hard to come by up north in January. The flammulated owl, Otis flammiolus, today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Well, thanks again for being with us here for our show number 591 
live from the front porch, or is this the back porch, of the beautiful El Tovar Hotel, looking out over the Grand Canyon here in Arizona. Talking Birds is sponsored in part also by Chimani, providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides to plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites from Acadia to Zion. Go to Chimani.com. That's C-H-I-M-E. A-N-I.com to download your free app today. Well, it became clear in the 1960s that peregrine falcons, bald eagles, and other birds of prey were in trouble, largely due to the effects of DDT. In 1970, the Peregrine Fund was founded to restore the peregrine falcon. The fund pioneered methods of breeding falcons in captivity and successfully releasing them to the wild. And almost 30 years later, they proudly hosted an international celebration when the peregrine falcon was removed from the U.S. endangered species list in 1999. Then, for the Peregrine Fund, it was on to other species of concern, along with habitat conservation and educational work. And one of those species is what we might reasonably describe as the signature species here at Grand Canyon National Park, the California condor. And we're really happy to be joined this morning by one of the people who has played an important role in a wonderfully successful, if still uncompleted, mission. Uh, to create and maintain a vibrant and stable population for the California condor. Now, his name is actually pronounced Tim Hawk, but we call him Tim Hawk. He doesn't seem to mind. Uh, he's the Peregrine Fund Condor Assistant Field Manager, and he's here, here with us at the Grand Canyon, here for Tim. Is that the right title? Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's accurate. Field Good. Manager for the, uh, the field the program reintroduction we're just getting his title squared away here give us that title again the correct way i'm the field manager for the condor reintroduction program here in arizona so tim tell us about the california condor i mean obviously it's a spectacular bird but what is it that makes it really the iconic species that it is well this is a bird that's been around for a very long time since the pleistocene so ten thousand years ago this bird was roaming the canyons here and when you see it fly over your head man it's something else you can hear the wind through the feathers you see that nine and a half foot wingspan and you're just blown away. Is it fair to say that, the, Tim, this species came about uh, as close to disappearing forever as it's possible to get? You bet it did, yeah. 22 individuals in 1987 where they trapped them all up and brought them into captivity for the breeding program. So, yeah, pretty close. So some of the things that were done or attempted in, to try to save the, the condor worked. Some others didn't. There's been a whole process going on through it. Can you describe some of some of that? You know, one of the problems with bringing a bird like the condor back that's a long-lived species, this bird can live 60 plus years in the wild. So um, it is a slow reproductive rate. So in, in captivity, you have to figure out a way to make that breeding uh, as efficient as possible to get as many birds out there as you can when you only have 22 birds left. So they started something called double clutching, which was really an important step in the in the propagation. So you can you can take an egg that's been laid in captivity and you can pull that from the adult female and she will actually recycle that egg and you can take the egg that she laid and you can raise it in an incubator and so uh, she will lay another egg and raise it on her own and you just doubled your your production so what is what's the latest thing that is happening in terms of uh, of the condor project uh, well we're seeing more and more breeding pairs in the wild which is really great we have four four pairs this year uh, two here right at the south rim in Grand Canyon so we're expecting some wild chicks fledging in uh, about two months here. So there's a program here at the Grand Canyon, this part of Arizona, and 
also California and other places too. What are, what are the what are the areas that are that are involved? Well, we have our population here in Arizona, which also uh, utilizes Southern Utah. So you can find birds here from the Grand Canyon all the way up to Zion National Park. And then we also have populations in uh, Southern and Central California. And we also have a, another small population in Baja, California, Mexico. So there's three separate populations here. And all facing the same general challenges, I would think. What are, what are the biggest challenges right now? Yeah, still the biggest challenge we're seeing with California condors and the number one cause of death is lead poisoning. So that's, that's still taking a, about 50% of the birds. And the lead poisoning from, I, th I think we've heard it described as from, from gut piles, from uh, animals that have been shot and other, other, other ways too? Uh, yeah, there's several different pathways, but the most common one that we see is uh, high-powered rifle ammunition from uh, big game hunting. Uh, lead ammunition is soft, and when it hits an animal, it fragments into many different pieces. And those are often left in the field in the, in the form of gut piles or, or animals that get away. Uh, and the condors are very efficient scavengers, and they're very good at picking that up. Um, there is also uh, some potential for lead pathways in uh, small, hunt small game hunting, like varmint hunting and coyotes and, and things like that. So traditional lead ammunition poses a significant issue at the moment. And that kind of ammunition has been ba banned in some places, I think, right? But condors are not necessarily following political boundaries. <laughs> Correct. It has been uh, banned in the range in California, and they're planning on implementing their full statewide ban in 2019. And here in Arizona, we, we really preach education and outreach, and we're working with a non-lead ammo program with Arizona Game and Fish and Utah Department of Natural Resources, where every hunter that draws a tag within the range of the condor gets two free boxes of non-lead ammunition. And, and they also get a whole load of information on the condor and the, the effects that lead can have on the environment, and not just condors, but other scavenging, scavenging birds and animals. You know. What's your uh, level of optimism, Tim? Uh, it's pretty high. We see 90% participation in the non-lead ammo pro program here in Arizona and similar results up in Utah, and it's a younger program up there still getting its feet on the ground. So the, the, the understanding from hunters and, and that we see is very, very high. You know, once you explain the issue and talk to them about it, uh, they're generally happy to, to take part in conservation as hunters have been one of the biggest conservation uh, groups that we have in this country. Tim Houck, ladies and gentlemen, Peregrine Fund, Condor Field Manager. Find out more about the Peregrine Fund's great work, by the way, at peregrinefund.org. That's peregrinefund.org. Tim, thank you for your great work, and thanks for being with us this morning. Thank you very much for having me. Coming up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. If you've listened to Talking Birds over the past several weeks, you may have heard us talking about our upcoming trip to the Galapagos Islands. And guess what? The guest list is now almost full. So if you'd like to join us, and we hope you will, the time to sign up is now. We'll travel with our friends from Sunrise Birding, one of the world's finest small group touring companies. I'll be your host for the trip to this truly amazing place where we'll get up close to giant Galapagos tortoises and marine iguanas and spectacular bird species, including Darwin's famous finches, and we'll even snorkel with Galapagos penguins. We'll be led by expert local guides, and we'll cruise in comfort aboard a custom-designed first-class yacht. Sound good? Well, don't hesitate. There are just a few cabins still available. We'll visit places and see things that most other tour groups simply don't see. Get all the details right now at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com.
Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. You're eligible on our Mystery Bird Contest if you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the past six months. Uh, if you're not hearing our show live, by the way, uh, you can do it anywhere at all uh, with any kind of a, uh, internet connection. Just go to talkingbirds.com and see how to do it. We always emphasize there's no G in talking. As we explained to folks here last night, if you put the G in on our website, you get that pet shop in Albuquerque. And that's not what you want. It's talkingbirds.com. Oh, here's our number for the Mystery Bird Contest. It's 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900. Our prize is uh, one of the new Droll Yankees feeders. It's just called Cute. It's one of the cutest bird feeders ever. The Cute Chickadee Feeder, great for all kinds of little birds. It even has a height-adjustable dome. The number for our Mystery Bird Contest the most important part of our contest, 781-837-4900 is the number. Uh, not surprisingly, we're further behind in time than even usual, so please call us as soon as you possibly can if you know what this bird is or if you'd like to take a guess at it, because no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. 781-837-4900 is the number, 781-837-4900. Uh, mystery bird is a small songbird with a brown body, a white throat, a barred rust-colored tail, and a long, thin, downward-curving bill. Our bird is found in the arid mountain country and canyonlands of western North America, where it nests and forages in narrow rock crevices, feeding mostly on insects and spiders, and it often reveals its presence through this beautiful and distinctive song. We have, we have some knowing smiles here in our local audience here about that mystery bird. Uh, anybody? I don't see anybody grabbing their phones here, though, so I guess we're okay. But <laughs> there they go. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. 781-837-4900 on our mystery bird contest. Meanwhile, we're going to check in with Mike O'Connor back there in Massachusetts, Orleans, Cape Cod, to be specific and our Let's Ask Mike live segment in just one minute. More than 100 million wild animals are killed each year, illegally. Poaching is just one of the risks animals face at our hands. I'm Tom Barry. I'm an actor. I grew up in the beautiful rural countryside of Ohio, where animals roamed freely in the open forests. I have a deep concern to help preserve those open spaces for our wildlife friends so they can live and thrive like they used to. Destruction of their habitats threaten their very existence. The best way to protect wildlife is to protect the land where they live. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust works with private landowners to protect wildlife, to preserve natural habitats, and establish permanent sanctuaries. To learn more or to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, call 800-729-SAVE. That's 800-729-SAVE or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. Hey, we don't have any uh, music for Mike today, but maybe we could replace it with some applause from our studio audience here. Can we do that? That's for you, Mike, and I hope you're there. Oh, hey, it worked. The system works. 
All right. There he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mike O'Connor from the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Star. Let's Ask Mike live segment. Uh, Mike, I, I have a feeling we have a better view right at the moment than you do, as beautiful as Cape Cod is. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, yeah, the canyon. Are you kidding me? I've been there a bunch of times, and it never stops looking awesome. We have a question, Mike, from a listener uh, up in Maine, and her name is Alexa. And um, she had a question about, um, you know, this, this, this uh, finch eye disease has been associated with house finches. And she's observed that in her yard at her feeders. But she's also seeing it, she tells us, with goldfinches. And I hadn't heard about goldfinches being affected by this, but uh, uh, maybe you have, and you could uh, offer some suggestions about this to Alexa. Oh, my God. Every time you have a fun show, you bring me on for downer talk. I, I, what is that about? <laughs> I get the eye disease portion of the show. Yeah, the, what we call, what it's commonly called uh, finch, uh, finch eye disease, it's like a conjunctivitis. First got into the wild population of birds in 1994, kind of spread from... It's common in uh, domestic fowl, like turkeys and chickens and stuff, but it jumped into house finches in 94, and they thought because house finches in the east uh, were released from the west and it was a small genetic pool, these birds became susceptible and spread it pretty much throughout the country in the house finches. And for the most part, most other birds uh, were immune to it, but sometimes goldfinches, sometimes uh, grosbeaks, and sometimes purple finches pick it up. Um, I think what Alexa did was perfect. I think I got a note from her saying that she clean, took her feeders down and cleaned them. That's what we should do regularly anyways. But what I, eventually the birds, what happens is their eyes get crusted up and they can't see, and they go to feeders because they can't find natural food, and they kind of hang out on feeders, and eventually they almost become blind and they get easily picked off by hawks. And it doesn't seem to bother the hawks, and it's not doesn't spread into humans, uh, or the mammals, so you don't have to worry about that. Although I, I wouldn't, you know, go out and lick your feeder, anyways. But I would, I would not worry about that. But it does really bother mostly house finches, sometimes goldfinches, and a few other birds. The treatment for that is really to take your feeders in. I, I mean, not just for a few days, but take them in for a good long time, several weeks, until you're sure the birds have passed. I know people hate taking their feeders in, and I hate to see people take their feeders in because I sell birdseed for a living. <laughs> But really, they should take them in maybe for a couple of weeks until the birds that have the disease have recovered or succumb. Most of the time, they succumb to it. And, th and then you can put them back out because you don't want the birds coming together where they can pass the disease back and forth to each other. So I would just, Alex, I would remove your feeders for a few weeks. It sounds like you've done it before, but do it for a longer period of time. That's More the happy note I have today. You made it so, sound so positive with those great. Could we hear it for Mike O'Connor a little round of applause? <laughs> hey, Mike, we'll talk to you next week. Keep having fun, Ray. Good job. All right. Thanks, Mike. The Amazon's rainforest is being cut down so fast that by 2030, 55% of it could be completely wiped out. The Earth's forest can't speak up when they need help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. All right, we're back here to the Mistress Bird Contest. 781-837-4900 is the number trying to identify this mystery bird. A small songbird with a brown body and a white throat apart. Rust-colored tail, a long, thin, downward curving bill. The bird found in the arid and mountain country of canyonlands of North western North America, where it nests and forages in narrow rock crevices, feeding mostly on insects, and spiders. 781-837-4900. What is the uh, 
What is the bird? Our prize, that beautiful chickadee or other small bird feeder from Droll Yankees. And we have Liz somewhere in Minnesota. Good morning, Liz. Hi, Ray. How are you? Wow, you I'm sound well. great. You sound very chipper. How about a, we, we're, we're big on applause around here. How about some for Liz? Whereabouts in Minnesota, Liz? At St. Cloud. We're central Minnesota. Nice. St. Cloud, Minnesota. All right. Well, let's get right to our mystery bird, Liz. And what do you uh, think it is? I think it is a canyon wren. Everybody here agrees. Studio audience all agrees. It is a canyon wren. Well, that didn't take long. Well, congratulations, uh, Liz. You're absolutely, uh, absolutely right. Awesome. Would you Thank like you. We'd like to offer you a free trip to the Grand Canyon, but we don't have that available right now. But we do have that beautiful Droll Yankees feeder. Well, I'll right? take it. <laughs> Stay on the line. We'll get your address and send it to you. Great. Thanks, Ray. Thank you, Liz. Are we really out of time already? Oh, my gosh. We'll be in uh, Michigan's eastern upper peninsula next, next week. Please join us there. And two weeks today from today, we'll talk to a lady about the Galapagos Islands because we're going there next year. Hey, we're out of time for our show this morning. Executive producer of Talking Birds is Mark Duffield. Our associate producer, Debbie Bleacher. Our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.